This podcast is brought to you by the Canada Foundation for Innovation. The low point in breastfeeding in most developed countries, including Canada and the U.S., were in the early 70s. And it had been tailing off in the years following World War II, uh, probably because of the improvement in infant formula and uh, the fact that it was easier and women were returning to the workforce uh, after the World War and instead of staying home. And it was a convenient and because it was quote unquote scientific, felt to be perfectly acceptable um, and easier. It was only in the 1970s that initially some Scandinavian studies started to show that there were maybe health advantages to the babies who were breastfed versus those who were formula-fed. And I, this is during my pediatric and epidemiology training that a lot of these initial studies came out. And I didn't think that the studies that were coming out were all that good methodologically. I thought this would be a good field to enter into near its beginning. It was this nascent field of breastfeeding research that, that got me into this field. My name is Michael Kramer. I'm a pediatrician and epidemiologist from McGill University, and I'm director of CORE, the Center for Outcomes Research and Evaluation at the McGill University Health Center Research Institute. My main research in breastfeeding has consisted of a, um, uh, of a randomized trial, what's called a cluster randomized trial, because what were randomized were not individual women, um, and their babies, but rather uh, the hospitals and clinics in which the mothers gave birth and in which the babies were followed after birth. And this involved 17,000 healthy women and babies in the, in the Republic of Belarus in Eastern Europe. It's the largest randomized trial ever undertaken in the area of breastfeeding. And so what we've, we've created is two groups in which there are differences in breastfeeding behavior where the differences on average, individual women make the, make the choice for their individual baby, but on average one group breastfed much more exclusively and for a much longer period of time than the other group. And those differences translate into differences, in, sometimes into differences in health that we've been able to determine. So we observed lower um, gastrointestinal infection rates, lower rates of atopic eczema, which is a skin rash that's common in, in babies. And uh, although not significant because quite rare, uh, lower rates of the sudden infant death syndrome or cot death. But we've followed up these babies uh, who are no longer babies. They're now 18 years of age, and we found um, important differences in IQ and the, uh, favoring the intervention group over the control group at six and a half. And we're just completing uh, the fourth round of follow-up at, at age 16 uh, when we've uh, done more in-depth uh, cognitive function but also examined uh, blood pressure and vision and uh, respiratory function, lung function as well. So the fact that we observed differences in a, in a randomized uh, intervention suggests that there's something about the breastfeeding itself, not just about the women, that causes the difference. But what we don't know is whether it's something in the breast milk itself uh, and if it is what that substance is, or whether it is just the, f just, I don't want to minimize it, it, whether it's the physical and emotional contact between the mother uh, and the baby during the breastfeeding that's actually leading to the, to the better brain development. It could even be that because breastfeeding takes longer, that uh, the mothers who are talking to their babies uh, during the time of breastfeeding, they're just spending more time talking to their babies than mothers who bottle feed. So we don't really know the mechanism. Um, that'll require future studies, both in, in laboratory animals and in humans, um, to try to understand why it is that breastfed babies have higher IQs, let's say, than babies who are either not breastfed or breastfed less exclusively or for shorter periods of time.
The center that I'm responsible for, the Center for Outcomes Research and Evaluation, or the core, it includes a number of researchers with similar methodologic training in epidemiology or population health research methods, biostatistics, and health services research. It is rarely a part of other research institutes, but it is an essential and large part of our research institute, largely for historical reasons. During the late 80s and early 90s, McGill was in a hiring freeze, and the Department of Epidemiology and Biostatistics, as it was then called here at McGill, really couldn't um, increase its faculty. And yet the, the demand in clinical research at the hospitals where the research was going on involving patients or people from the community for this expertise was increasing. And thanks to the, what was then called the FRSQ, the Fonds de Recherche en Santé du Québec, um, they supported hospital-based research institutes and gave them a separate budget for what was called clinical research, which at that time meant anything to having to do with humans as opposed to cells or tissues or animals. So that is why um, it's, an, it's an accident, if you will, of, of history that we have an unusual, I would say not equal anywhere, hospital-based um, expertise in these areas of population health uh, research, and that's one, that's a unique opportunity. And the f and what's even more unique now is is the fact that we're all going to be in one place.